It's a joy to be here today. Thank you for uh, coming and thank you for staying. And uh, I, you know, I always kid about preaching and all that. I'm not a preacher per se, but and and I do get anxious prior to time. But once I get up here, I'm fine. And if so, if you'll relax, I'll relax. We'll we'll be fine. And I look forward to sharing a few moments together. I will tell you this: I've got some new glasses, and I've got this microphone on that kind of presses in on my head. If I faint, the, the, it's too tight on my temples. Just come on. <laughs> You, ben, you can take my notes or you can just go from wherever you want to or we can sing another number. So uh, thank you for being here. I look forward to sharing a, a little bit of time together. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and uh, I do want to say just, I'm not going to call names. I don't know who all did it, but we have a decorating team that has come in and decorated our facility, and it really lends itself to allowing us to worship and prepare for the coming Christ. So I want to say a special thanks to them. I know some were probably here and some in the early service, but uh, thank you, those who've done that. It's sometimes behind-the-scenes work that we don't fully appreciate, but I can tell you we appreciate it today, so I want to say a special word of thanks to them. Uh, we are now in the start, what I call the start of the Christmas season. It is right after Thanksgiving, and, and I know that some of the stores and displays, and we've had Black Fridays and Cyber Mondays since Labor Day, I believe, and, and Christmas music on a few radio stations have been really early you could just turn it on and listen to 24 7 christmas music but officially for me after thanksgiving seems to make the most sense that that uh, you really are preparing yourself for the the holiday for christmas and uh some excitement bills and and i i like i like i like christmas music i know not everybody likes a whole lot of christmas music and i like it uh now i, I don't listen to those stations that play at 24 7 if i'm going to listen a long time that they seem to tend to repeat themselves or I repeat myself, both of which are probably true. But now it's officially okay to begin to think about Christmas. Uh, you know, you can watch the movies and the shows that you're always used to. And some of the networks will have 50 days of Christmas movies or Christmas shows and, and all along the way. And, and it seems like it's okay now without being some kind of weirdo. Or maybe that's just me, but I'm a weirdo anyway. But so now it's officially the time. So I ask a question. To you today. What are you looking forward to this Christmas? What do you anticipate? Are there some things that you're uh, thinking might happen this Christmas? Uh, you, you generally come into the season with great anticipation, and uh, we have high hopes and dreams for really the perfect Christmas, a time of gathering, a time with some unique magical moments with kids or grandkids or with parents or with family, perhaps some uh, special times of real joy with Christmas parties and uh, with people you love and care and people about and uh, maybe sometimes a pleasure and some fun, maybe a few days off just to relax and maybe dismiss some of the cares of this world just to settle in and enjoy some time. Uh, maybe it's a perfect gift given or a perfect gift received. Both of those bring, bring great, great joy. Uh, perhaps you envision hope that, uh, uh, that maybe this Christmas will be the very best ever. Almost a, a Norman Rockwell sort of Christmas where everything's just perfect. Just a moment in time. Now, for some of you younger people, Norman Rockwell was a painter, an artist. And, if, and uh, so on, this, on uh, I think it was, the, was it the Saturday Evening Post. He did the covers of the Saturday Evening Post. And you've seen his work. You've all seen his work. It's amazing. He's able to catch just a perfect time, a perfect moment. You know, uh, maybe uh, uh, you know, maybe a kid buttering buttering the roll while everybody else is praying. Just all sorts of things. Just really, really neat, neat 
paintings, neat pictures, almost similar in some ways to what is now called the mannequin challenge. Have y'all seen that? It's just kind of a, a moment in time where everybody's doing something and you can kind of see a little bit into their world. Your Christmas, you may be anticipating something like a Norman Rockwell painting. Those are expectations. Um, but what inevitably happens? It doesn't come off that way, does it? it it's never perfect. And of course, life is not perfect. That's the way it, that's the way it is. Uh, something always happens to our expectations about Christmas. We always have a few of those moments where there's a meltdown or two. And uh, sometimes it's the kids, and sometimes it's the parents, and sometimes it's the grandparents or that crazy uncle. Uh, there's always a meltdown or two. Sometimes it's associated with too much sugar. Sometimes it's just associated with not enough sleep. Uh, sometimes it's associated with just the family's been together too long. Uh, you get into absolute chaos can happen. Um, sometimes it's the moment that you open that prized box in his underwear and black socks. Now, now you need that. That just wasn't what you were hoping for. And I recall many times being prompted to go and hug and kiss my grandmother for my underwear and black socks. I was embarrassed. Of course, I was 44, but no, 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 no. I wasn't. Uh, but anyway, some of those moments kind of, you know, kind of take the edge off the excitement of Christmas. And of course, there's always that relative, that one family member that brings up awkward conversations and just makes everybody feel a little bit uncomfortable. And by the way, if, it, if you don't know who that relative is, it's probably you. <laughs> so uh, uh, be careful at Christmas time. Don't overstay your welcome. Don't bring up any crazy conversations. Uh, so I encourage you to do that. Our perfect Norman Rockwell painting generally more closely resembles National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Nothing, nothing is exactly as expected. Nothing whatsoever. Cousin Eddie makes his appearance, and uh, it's a Christmas to remember in all the worst ways. It might also say, in, in a more serious note, that Christmas we know can be painful. It is painful for us. It's there's loss remembered at Christmas and some, many times the first Christmas and, uh, and, and anniversary dates and things like those. Those things kind of well up in us at Christmas time and holiday times. And so some of those times are painful and they're difficult. And sometimes they take some of the brightness out of our Christmas. And I want to encourage you today that, uh, that we're going to move a little bit past expectations and move a little bit toward expectancy. Uh, I do recall some of our expectations uh, as a child, not as a child, but as a young married couple. I discovered, I hate that Suzanne's not here today to defend herself, but uh, that's probably a good thing. I did not know, you may know that, that, that a, a Barbie Corvette or the Barbie Dreamhouse, every detail, decal, every little thing must be on that before it's presented. You can't wait till the day later. You can't do it all together. It has to be done early. Not early. It has to be done. And I didn't know that. I learned that when I was a young married couple with two young girls. And uh, every little thing must be uh, completed. Um, I also discovered, my parents told me years later about some of Santa's helpers uh, helping them uh, that by putting together a, a swing set in the garage because it was so very cold in North Alabama on, on that night. And so they put the swing set together in the garage. But little to my parents' knowledge, they couldn't get that out of the garage. They had to disassemble it and then take it out and get some help putting it back together. 
Those stories are told sometimes years later, and some of you have those sort of stories. You know those sorts of things. I also recall as a, as a young parent, uh, it's so being very important to wear certain clothes. Our girls, for some reason, had to have matching monogram dresses and bows and all that that comes with all that. And so for the three or four months prior to that, our budget only allowed for peanut butter and jelly and macaroni and cheese. That, but boy, our girls look good around Christmas. So, <laughs> you know, on, on youth minister money and, and teacher money, you had to eat some mac and cheese along the way, and we weren't opposed to it. In fact, great, great memories. The house I grew up in, my home, my mom and dad were certainly fine, fine parents. But I, I, I remember a few uncomfortable nights around Christmas. My dad was a terrible gift, is a terrible gift giver. My mom passed away a few years ago. My dad is a terrible gift giver. Giver. My mom, by the way, never, I mean, never lacked for an opinion, and what he really wanted to state it clearly. And so, a few of the gifts that she, she got from my dad were not that well received, and it just created a little bit of friction around our home. And I know they tried to cover, but they didn't do that great a job. And uh, I have to also admit that I have gotten that bad gift giving gene. I am not good at giving gifts. Some people are fantastic at it. I'm not good at it, and my dear wife is, she's made for me. Uh, there's no doubt about it. All throughout the year, she announces things like, honey, I just bought the gift that you're going to give me at Christmas. I've just got it for you. Here, you can wrap this. That's great. You know, sometimes on Christmas, I'm more su surprised than she is. <laughs> it's, it is very, I love for her to open up her gifts that I've given her. It's, it's a thrilling, it's a thrilling few moments. I usually just say, she says, thank you, honey. I said, you're welcome, baby. And uh, I can tell you this, Christmas expectations have a way, from get, a, a way of getting away from us. They do. They don't ever really come quite up to all that we expect. I, I want to challenge you with this, this Christmas, as today, the beginning of Advent, we begin to think about hope. Uh, instead of a sense, a set of expectations, let me encourage you to adopt, to adapt a sense of expectancy. Expectancy is exactly the opposite of expectations. Expectations are, are man-made. They're, a, they're, a they're, they're limited. They're a set of, of uh, someone's ideas, either yours or someone else's ideas of what, what might or what should happen. They can be great or small. Uh, sometimes uh, they're selfish. Sometimes they're controlled. Sometimes, almost always, they're man-centered, man-human-centered. Uh, um, sometimes they come with expectations. Well, I'm owed this. Well, I deserve this. And expectations will put you in a bad spot. Expectancy, on the other hand, is exactly the opposite. Expectancy is the renewal of hope, is of anticipation. It has a freshness to it. It's the spark in your heart or soul that makes you dare to believe that good can come from bad, that something fantastic can come from something terrible, that the challenges that have been this year can be renewed in just a few nights and just a few time over the Christmas. It's the belief that... Uh, Good can come from bad, that light can come from dark, that life can come from death. Those things, when difficult times have hit you and those you care about, expectancy allows you to go forward. Expectancy, not expectations, but expectancy. It gives you the thought that uh, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel and that you can see the sun breaking, breaking through the, the clouds. You can get a fresh breath of air from a stale life. That's the hope that we hope for this Christmas. In fact, that's the hope we claim this Christmas. The God of expectancy brings hope at Christmas. The God of expectancy brings hope at Christmas.
That's what we're looking at today, to bring hope. The God of expectancy brings hope at Christmas. Let's pray together for a second. Father, I pray for these next few moments as we look into your word, as we examine what you might have for us, that we might have ears that can hear, that we might have a mind that's uncluttered, that we might have a heart that can receive your word and your message, and that we might have a, a disposition, a will to go forward, to bring hope to others, and to live in a, in a sense of hope and expectancy. In Christ's name we pray, amen. During this Advent season, we're looking in Second uh, Philippians, verses 1 through 11, and over the next several weeks, we'll be in those scriptures, and, and um, I'm... I, my portion of that is hope in verses 5 and 6. But I want to read all 11 verses if you'll allow me to do that today. Uh, so we're in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. It says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with each other or with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here's the situation in, in the church in Philippi. Paul has gotten word that there's some issues there. And uh, so he's writing a letter. There's two main issues. Firstly, there's some outside influence coming in that are, is false teaching. And that's concerned him. And uh, he, he addresses that. But it appears that his greatest concern is the problem from within. A lack of humility uh, uh, from within the fellowship. And so he, he goes into a long explanation here. If you're in Christ, then others ought to matter. He says, in Christ, in Christ. And he goes through all those verses leading up to this, uh, leading up to the verses we're looking at today. In Christ, know this. He's anxious to realize that he wants the people to not worry so much about uniformity. He wants unity. We're not all alike. That, that's, that would be ludicrous to think that we're all alike. We're not alike, but we do. We do expect to be unified. Not uniform, but unified. And Paul was encouraging the young and new believers at the church at Philippi for unity. And he said the way to have unity is remember you're in Christ and accept the humility of Christ as your example for, for to go forward as a body of believers. John Ortberg in his book, Six Surprising Ways That Jesus Changed the World, reminded us one of the ways he changed the world is he brought humility into vogue. You know, prior to that, in the ancient world, humility was not a virtue at any level. There were some people who were humble, but it was not a virtue. They thought poor, so poorly of themselves. They, they thought of themselves as nothing. That's not the kind of humility that Christ is talking about. He's talking about a kind of humility. Not that you think poorly of yourself. You just don't think of yourself. You think of others. 
That's what you do. That's what Paul was trying to get at. Not so much, not so much thinking poorly of yourself, but to think of others. That brings hope if you really think about it. It brings hope to those about you. It brings hope to the people in your sphere of influence, in your home, in your workplace, in your classrooms, in your sphere of influence, in your community. It brings hope that you're thinking about other people. The one another's. The New Testament is filled with the one another's. 59 times it says, love one another or do this to one another. I, I, I pulled out a few of them. Be at peace with each other in Mark. Love one another five times in John. Honor one another above yourselves in Romans. Accept one another as Christ accepted you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Forgive each other. Submit to one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Spur each other on. Encourage one another. Confess your sins to one another. Jesus was turning a mindset. It's not about us. It's about others. And he demonstrated that beautifully. Absolutely beautifully. When it's in verses 5 and 6, it says this, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He said, don't think of yourself, think of others. Be other-minded. It says form there, Jesus, uh, the form of God or the nature of God. That's, that's not a shape. Jesus doesn't look like God. He has the characteristics of God. He is God. The scripture reminds us of that over and over and over. We know this, that Jesus was in a position to receive all the praise and glory due in heaven. And he, he took a humble stance to give that up. He, he could have stayed at the right hand of God, but he gave it up. With the mindset of Christ, we can carry that on. That very same humility. So our hope can be found in the humility of Christ. Secondly, hope can be found in the nature of Christ. Hope can be found in the nature of Christ. By the way, I'll just go ahead and tell you, I've made this simple. There's a little bit anxious to fill in the blanks. You will not miss them. I hope you will not miss them. <laughs> do not work ahead. And do not leave when you're done. <clears throat> hope can be found in the nature of Christ. It, 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 it's an anxious moment, I can tell you. You're going to have to fill in all those blanks. Because to be honest, most of what I write down, I don't say. <laughs> I, that's terrible, but I, I just, I don't know what, I, I won't blame the Holy Spirit on that, but uh, I don't always say it, so hope is the word. Um, not only his humility, but his very nature. Jesus had two natures. We know that. We've, we've learned that all along. We know that he had a divine nature. He was fully God, and he took on a human nature, fully man. Uh, he's described as the Son of God. In John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In Colossians, it says, Being in the very image of the invisible God. In John 10, it says, I, am the I and the Father are one. He's, he, he is the Son of God. He is God. A second description of Jesus is that He was the Son of Man, or the Son of David, used often in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus Himself loved the, the term Son of Man, demonstrating his humanity and pushing to the forefront his humanity. In fact, 78 times in the gospel that it's used. Luke 19, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Hebrews 2, it says, He was made in the likeness of men and found in, ha in fashion as a man. Uh, the Son of David has some messianic overtones from the Old Testament and, and often used in the New Testament uh, by those who saw Jesus coming by. In Matthew 20, 
two blind men sitting on the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. I love the, the description, the Son of David. It kind of harkens us back to the lineage of Christ. And at Christmas time, we think about the lineage and, and how, uh, how God through the ages has made, uh, has made what he has promised to be true to come true. And uh, so the scriptures ring true. I, I, we know a good bit about David, by the way, and, and I said it probably wrong in the first service. I, I almost sounded like David was as important as Jesus. He's not. We know a lot about Jesus, and we know a lot about David. And um, we know about David. He wrote the Psalms, most of the Psalms, and we know, we know a lot about him. We know some of the greatest stories in the Bible. We know that David was the greatest, it, it, known as the greatest king of Israel. We know that he was a warrior, that he was a shepherd. We also know that he was a flawed man. Uh, we really only know two, I mean, not really, two stories stand out to us about David. David and Goliath and David and Bathsheba. David and Goliath, in fact, I, I have a message. I preached it here on Goliath and being an old youth minister. I thought that a word picture, I mean, you need to have a picture of what's going on. So I, I, I pulled a chair out. Can y'all still hear me? You probably can or can't. I pulled a chair out front, and I, I thought it important for people to know how big Goliath was. So uh, I brought a yardstick, and I stood in the chair and held that yardstick. I got new glasses. Everything's a little crazy. Also, you put this in his pocket. Turn me off, uh, but leave this on. Uh, when Chris puts this thing on his waist, it goes there. When I put it on my waist, there's a lot of pressure to push it over the side. <laughs> I know it's been recorded. It's too late now. So I had to put it in my pocket. <laughs> anyway, back to Goliath. I got that chair out, and I stood in it and held that yardstick up. I didn't know it at the time. I could hear it be, <gasps> almost a gasp, like, oh, my stars, James. That's the greatest illustration. I've... That's what my mind was saying. Later, Rob Matthews told me everybody was looking at the bottom of that chair. It was bowing all the way through. <laughs> he said, we didn't even know what you were saying. We thought you were going through the chair. I haven't tried that illustration again. But anyway, that was all free. That was free, no charge for that. David and Goliath, we know about the little shepherd boy who came to the forefront of the lines, the front lines, to bring food to his brothers and others. And, and uh, Goliath was uh, challenging any, any, any of the Israelites to step out. And none of them would step forward. He said, I'll go. And he was just a shepherd boy, a little kid. And that's what they said. No, 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 you're just a little boy. He said, I'm not afraid. I'll go. I'll step forward. That's kind of the Colbert version of that. But he stepped forward. And, but before he stepped forward, they first said, no, you're just a little boy. And he said, I'll be fine. My God's with me. And then he said, well, if you're going to go, put on this armor. Put on all this armor and get out there. You're going to need the armor. See, firstly, they were saying, they were making him less than he was. They said, you're just a little boy. And then they said, we're going to make him more than he was. Well, put on the armor. No, no. He didn't need any of that. All he needed was his God. And he stepped forward. We know the story. He defeated Goliath, the giant. The giants in our life. It gives us a reminder that our God is big enough to defeat the giants of our life, in our life. The second story, David and Bathsheba. I've, I've not had the guts to tell that story on, all, on a regular basis here. But you know the story. David lusted after someone that wasn't his wife and, and, and committed adultery with this person. And then Bathsheba. And then Decided he needed to cover his sins. So through deception and then eventually murder, uh, he, he just tried to cover his own tracks. 
So we know David is a flawed man, but we know this by those two stories. Firstly, our God's big enough to defeat the enemies that we face on the outside. We know that. And you know the greater story is? That he's big enough to defeat the enemies on the inside. Our own sins. Our own shortcomings. Our God's that big. The two natures of our God, 100% God and 100% man, he knows those inadequacies. He knows those failures. He knows them. He's 100% God and 100% man. He's not a 50-50. He's a 100. The pastor I grew up with would always say, he's so much God, he can't be man. And he's so much man, he can't be God. But he was both. He was. He was both. God and man. So we know this. Hope can be found in the nature of Christ. In the humility of Christ and in the nature of Christ. And then lastly, we find great hope in knowing that hope can be found in the presence of Christ. Hope can be found in the presence of Christ. In Matthew 1, 18 through 22, we have an account of Joseph when he first discovers the the situation with, with Mary. It goes this way. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together... She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You hear that? He'll be named Jesus and he'll be named Emmanuel. That gives us a little bit of insight in this presence, this God of presence with us. Jesus, it says, God will save us from our sins. And Emmanuel is the God that's with us. He's with us. His presence gives us hope. His presence in our life gives us hope. Now, it wasn't a double name. I just wanted to sidetrack for a second. It wasn't, you know, I I jotted down some double names. Y'all know Joe Frank. I know some of y'all have double names. Joe Frank or, or Jimmy Don or... Sometimes we use all last names. That way you don't know if it's a guy or a girl. You know, it's popular now. Billings, Johnson, Culbreth. You don't know if that's a boy or a girl or, or anything. Sometimes it's Sweet Pea. I like this one. Favorite. My favorite one is Bubba Jr. That means there's a Bubba Sr. And, uh, so, but he, it wasn't a double name. He had two names. Our God is a big God. He has two names. He is the God that will take away our sins. And he is the God that is with us. He's both of those. Great, great hope. It says he is the God that saves us, is the God named Jesus. And the God named Emmanuel is the God that is with us. God with us. We know that. We sing that. We we relish that. We celebrate that. I'm told, now listen, I, I I didn't do all the languages and all that, but I'm told that literally it's translated, he's the with us God. He's the with us God. I like that. He is the God that is with us. So we can find great hope 
we know we have great hope knowing that he is the with us God. In his book, Miracle, C.S. Lewis gives us a beautiful story, analogy of the incarnation. This is what he writes. Think of a pearl diver, first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing up in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through the green and warm water into the black and cold water down through the increasing pressure to the death-like region of the ooze and the slime and the old decay, decay, then up again, back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting, till suddenly he breaks surface again, holding in his hand the dripping, precious thing that he went down to recover. He and it are both covered now that they have come into the light. That really is the picture of our Jesus. He didn't stand on the sideline of heaven he didn't stand up on the banks. He dove in. He dove into the ooze and the gook and the yuck that is our life to pull out the pearl of great price, us. And he presents it back to the Father. He did the unexpected for you and me. It's not the expected. Now listen, a good God would have given us a great scripture or sent an angel, told us all about everything we need to know. You know what a great God does? He puts on skin, and he comes that we might have hope. Our God is a great God, and he has come to give us great hope. He has destroyed our expectations and given us expectancy, a life of expectancy. We have hope because of what he has done, of who he is, and of where he abides. It's an attitude. It's an authority. And it's an abiding. Proceed into this Christmas season full of hope with fewer expectations and greater expectancy. Let me encourage you to do that. Proceed into this Christmas season full of hope with fewer expectations and greater expectancy. First Corinthians says it well. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what our God has prepared for those who love him. We don't even know what God has in store for us, but we know he loves us and he gives us hope. In a crazy over-the-top world, it's hard to explain this story. It doesn't make sense, but the God of our Bible, the God of our Christmas, is better than we ever could imagine and really better than we ever expected. Let's pray together for a second. Father, we're thankful, firstly, that uh, you were able to dive into the deep darkness that is our life and rescue us, that you bring us to salvation, to salvation. You bring us to the point that we know that we have nothing of ourselves that is worthy, but everything through your blood, the shed blood of Christ. So, Father, today we pray for, for hope for those who feel hopeless. We pray for those who are here without a Savior, that, that today might be a day of salvation. We pray for those who are facing difficult circumstances and situations, and really some of the, the circumstances of life perhaps have have darkened their hope. I pray that today might be a day that they look anew and afresh at what you've provided for us. So, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to respond to you. We thank you for the opportunity to hear from you. And so that's our desire and our privilege. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.